not mistaken, this is the fourth week of us dealing with the Scriptures, uh, talking about Bibliology, which is the doctrine of the Bible. Uh, We've talked about the purpose of the Scriptures, the inspiration of the Scriptures, the preservation of the Scriptures. Well, tonight we're going to talk about some of the benefits of the Bible. And um, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. As far as I know, this will be our last week in this series. Uh, But I may come back next week and and do a study on how to study your Bible. Uh, I'm afraid a lot of people uh, who sit on church pews don't know how to study their Bible. Uh, They know how to read it, but don't really know how to to study it, how to dig down deep and and go beyond just reading through it and that's it. Uh, But if you want to grow in your walk with God, you've got to move beyond just reading what's on the paper and learning to interpret what's on the paper so that you can grow in your understanding of what God's trying to say. And so I may come back next week and dive into how to study the Bible and we may take a passage of Scripture and as I teach you how to study, take a passage of Scripture and let's study that passage of Scripture just to see what it says. Because here's the thing. Uh, many people think, well, you've got to have commentaries and you've got to have all these great resources to study the Bible, which means you've got to be an evangelist or a pastor or some great person to learn how to study the Bible. Which Those things are great, and you can find a lot of those resources on the internet, but here's the thing. If the Holy Spirit of God inspired this, and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, and He's the Spirit of truth, and Jesus said He'll guide you into all truth, I believe you can pray and read this, and the Holy Spirit of God will help you find out what it means. Amen? The resources are great, but if you've got the one who helped write it on the inside of you, I believe he can help you understand it. Amen? And so, let me just, by show of hands, how many would like to kind of get an understanding of how to study your Bible? That, that, that would, it would be beneficial to you of, uh, of how to understand it. Man? <laughs> Well, this will be a groundwork of why you should study your Bible, to find out the benefits of the Bible, and then why you should want to study your Bible. And so let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, verse 17. This has been our main text, really, for the past several weeks, so we'll look at it again. It says, All Scripture, now notice that, all Scripture, is given by inspiration of God. And let me just say this while we read. That means every Scripture is important. That means when you get into the book of Numbers and you don't quite understand why God put those things in there. When you get into Leviticus and you have all of those rules and those laws and about the washings and the purification and those things don't seem to make sense. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. When you read all of this, this one begot so and so and this one begot so and so, it's all important. It's all inspired by God. It's all put here because God wanted us to have it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and notice this, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. As I've said over the past few weeks, we've been investigating the Word of God. We've encountered the truth that the Word of God is a divine revelation of God's person and character. We've been reminded that the Word of God was divinely inspired in the beginning that it has been supernaturally preserved down to this very day. In other words, God inspired His Word, but He has protected it so that we can have it today. We've also discovered the purpose for which the Bible was given to man. It was given so that lost sinners might come to know God in a personal relationship. And my desire, as I've expressed to you over the past several weeks, is that you have a deeper understanding of how your Bible came to be and that your love for this book is greater than it's ever been before. I want us to fall in love with this book. I want us to hunger for this book. I want us to have a desire for this book. And I want us to long for this book as much as we long for our daily food. Because without this book, we'll not be the people God wants us to be. Without this book, we'll not grow as God wants us to grow. And so as we finish our time in this series, I want us to examine the benefits that come from a close relationship with the Word of God. 
We're told in verse 16 that the infallible, inerrant, inspired words of God are profitable. That word means beneficial, useful, and full of profit. And so tonight I want to focus in on that aspect of the Word of God. And we're going to talk about the profit in the Scriptures. And I've got nine things I believe it is I'm going to give you as we talk about the benefits and the profit in the Scripture. So number one, the Scriptures give us assurance about our salvation. The Scriptures give us assurance about our salvation. You see, your Christian life depends upon your assurance that the Bible is the Word of God and your salvation depends upon your understanding the Word of God because the Word of God is the Gospel. You see, your assurance that you're saved comes from the Word of God. Listen to 1 John 5.13 These things have I written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may, what's it say? Know that you have eternal life. John says we can know that we have eternal life. In other words, he says you don't have a hope-so salvation, you have a no-so salvation. But here's the question we have to ask ourselves. How do you know that you're saved? How do you know that you have eternal life? Listen, it's not because you feel it. Because you don't always feel saved. It's not because of some past event in your life. In other words, you can't base salvation on the fact that you walked down an aisle and prayed a prayer with a pastor. You can't base salvation on that. Because here's the thing, there have been many people who walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, and that's still lost. And on their way to hell. You base your assurance on what God has said in His Word. What does God say in His Word? What does Paul say in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10? If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, what does it say? Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Simply put, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, confessed Him as Lord, Paul says you are saved. Isn't that what he says? And if you believe with your heart and confess Him as Lord, if you're trusting in Jesus, Paul says, you are saved. And so here's the thing. If you want assurance of your salvation, you've got to ask yourself, have I done what the Apostle Paul says here in these verses? Have I believed on Jesus? Have I trusted in Him rather than trusting in my good works? Am I putting my faith in Christ? You see, if doubt ever begins to creep in, You've got to remind yourself of what the Word of God says. Have I I believed in Jesus? Because as I said, you can't trust your feelings. Your feelings will be up and down. Your feelings will be fickle. And your feelings will change from day to day. There's going to be some days, yes, you might feel God and feel His presence and might have goosebumps and you might feel close to Him and feel intimate with Him and you might be on the mountaintop and you feel like a Christian. You feel like a born-again believer. But then some days... You're not going to feel anything at all. And you might even be wondering, am I a Christian? In fact, there's going to be some days you don't act too saintly. And you're going to wonder, am I a Christian? And the only way you're going to have assurance that you're still a saint and still a child of God is, I've trusted in Jesus. Because the Word of God says, if I believed in Jesus By faith, I've been born again. That's where my assurance comes from. Not because I walk around all the time feeling Him. And that's the thing, us Pentecostals, we get caught up in experience way too much. We get caught up in always having to feel something. But here's the thing, at the end of the day, listen, when you can't feel nothing, you've got to stand on that right there. Amen? Because I promise you, when you're going through the valley and you can't feel anything, and you can't hear anything, you've got to stand on that. Amen? And so the Scriptures give us assurance about our salvation. You see, I know that I'm saved because God says, if I've trusted in Jesus, it lets me know I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven because I've done what this book says. 
I've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I believed on Him, He's forgiven me. I've been redeemed and my sins have been washed and put away. Amen? But secondly, the Scriptures enable us to grow spiritually. The Scriptures enable us to grow spiritually. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. As newborn babes, how many know when you first get saved, you're a babe in Christ? You're an infant in Christ. You're a newborn. It says, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. You see, the Word of God is our spiritual food. And I talked about it last week. It's, it's, it's called milk. It's called bread. It's called meat. And if we don't take the time to feed from the Word of God, we'll never be a growing Christian. You see, if you're only eating from God's Word on Sunday mornings and Wednesday night, it's not enough. If the only time you take in the Word of God is when you show up on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, you're not taking in enough of the Word of God. You're not taking in enough of the milk. You're not taking in enough of the meat. And you're going to be spiritually malnourished. You see, physically, none of us would think of only eating two times a week. Now listen, it'd probably do me some good if I only ate two times a week, but none of us do that, do we? We eat every chance we get. And more than we should. I promise you, when I get home tonight after I'm done here, I'm going to eat some dinner. And before I go to bed, I'm probably going to eat something sweet. And here's the thing, I probably won't go to bed till at least midnight. That means I'm probably going to eat something sweet more than once. But here's the thing, I probably shouldn't eat anything sweet at all. But I am. Just imagine if we were to feast on this book as much as we eat. If we were to eat from this book as much as we snack on sweets and things that aren't good for us physically. If we were to just take this Word of God and just, just eat on it and feast on it and hide it in our heart. We should be feeding on this book on a regular basis. In fact, let me say this. I don't want to be legalistic, but we should be feeding on this book on a daily basis. But we need to hide this Word in our heart. But here's the thing. It's a personal responsibility for all of us to open up this book and read it and study it. Listen, I can't be there with you on Monday morning to open up this book and spoon and spoon feed you from the Word of God. Listen, you show up here on Sunday morning, I'm going to feed you. Show up here on Wednesday night, I'm going to feed you. But Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I can't be there to feed you. You have to learn to feed yourself. You have to learn to open it up and read it and study it and find out what God wants to say to you when you're by yourself with Him. Listen, reading's good. Reading's where you start. But you've got to go beyond reading. You've got to find out how to study it. You've got to find out how to meditate on it. What does meditation mean? It means you find a verse, find a passage of Scripture, and you run it over and over and over in your mind, and you get every bit of nutrition you can out of that passage. For example, when we started the book of Ephesians, I took one little phrase, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and preached an entire message out of it. Some of you probably thought, how in the world is he going to preach an entire message out of that one little phrase? You just stick with it and you read it over and over again until you pick it apart. And then I basically preached Sunday morning on two words, saints and faithful. And just pick them apart. And what it means to be a saint, what it means to be faithful. Let me tell you how to meditate. How many know how to worry? If you can worry, you can meditate. Because worry is nothing more than taking your problems and running it over and over and over and over again in your mind until you make something bigger than what it is. Just take this and run it over and over and over again in your mind and you've meditated on the Word of God. That's it. Because we've all heard preachers get up and preach and take a passage of Scripture that you've read many times 
but yet they can take it and you're like, where did they get that from? It's because they took it and they meditated on it. And God showed them something. You see, we've got to hide the Word of God in our hearts, but guess what? That takes time. And that means you've got to take time from something else to hide this in your heart. Listen to 2 Timothy 3.15. It says, Since childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through the faith that is in Christ Jesus. We're told here that the Scriptures have the power to make us wise. We want to walk in wisdom, don't we? That word wise, it means to teach or to have understanding. Psalm 19 verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I'm a pretty simple person. And it says here that the law of the Lord is perfect, converts the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, and it can make wise the simple. You see, if you'll get the seed of the Word within your heart, God will water it and God will make it bear fruit. In other words, you will grow. If you'll abide in Him and you'll spend time in prayer and spend time studying and meditating in the Word of God, you'll find that fruit will be produced in your life. You won't have to struggle to grow in God. You simply will. If you'll hide this Word in your heart, you will have no problem growing in the Lord. 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Here, we're commanded to study the Bible. Study to show yourself approved. That word means be diligent and labor. You see, if we'll spend time that we need in the word of God, we'll be able to rightly divide the word. That's a surgical term that means to make a straight cut. Here's the thing, Brother Lynn just had surgery. You want that surgeon to make a straight cut. You want him to be precise as he's down there cutting. Amen? Anybody who's cutting on you, you want them to be precise in their cutting. You don't want somebody just out of medical school trying to operate on you. You want somebody who's been there before and has precision. You don't want somebody in there like this right here trying to cut you. You want somebody with a steady hand. But when it comes to studying the Word of God, we've got to be sure that we rightly divide it. In other words, we want to make sure we have a correct understanding of what the Word of God says. And so as we spend time in the pages of God's Word, studying it and reading it and meditating on it, we'll find out about the wonder of God and the work of God and the will of God and the ways of God. You see, as you spend time reading this book and studying it, you'll get a theological education that will enable you to serve God. The Bible will teach us about the person, promises, plan, and power of God. Let's move on. Number three, the Scriptures enable us to live the Christian life. The Word of God is a powerful book. This book that I hold in my hand, I believe it's the very Word of God. I believe it's a living book. I believe it's a powerful book. And I believe it has the power to change your life and the power to change my life, but it'll never change your life or mine if we don't spend time with it. And I believe that this book that we hold tonight, this book that we should cherish and love, it will empower us to live for the glory and honor of God. But as long as we neglect the Word of God, as long as we neglect the Scriptures, we'll never walk in the power that God wants us to walk with. Listen, if I don't spend time in this book and spend time in prayer, I can never stand up here and have the anointing and the power of God on my life that God wants me to have. And you'll never walk in the power and authority that God wants you to have. But if we'll spend time in this book, He will empower us and He will enable us to live for Him in this world. He will empower us and enable us to do great things for Him. You want to know why some people backslide? You want to know why some people begin to go a little stretch? Because they begin to get away from this book. They stop reading their Bible. They stop reading their Word. And they begin to go a little left. And they begin to go a little right. Listen, anybody who abandons church is because they stop reading the Bible. They get away from the Word. Listen to what Psalm 119 verse 9 says. How shall a young man keep his way pure? pure? By keeping it according to your Word. How are you going to stay pure? You stay with the book. 
Why? Because it helps us to maintain our purity. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He tells us what we don't do. We don't follow the advice of wicked people. We don't sit down with them. We don't walk with them. But then he says this in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, notice this, doth he meditate day and night. The Word of God never leaves his mind. He thinks about it constantly. It's on his mind day and night. Let me ask you, do you think about the Word of God day and night? If you want to be blessed, we all want to be blessed, don't we? We all want to be happy, don't we? You need the Word of God on your mind day and night. And notice what he says in verse 3. That when you avoid scorners and you don't walk according to their advice and you delight in the Word, he says this, you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You'll bring forth fruit in a season. His leaf shall not wither and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Can you see how important your relationship with the Word of God is? You see, the Word of God will help you remain pure. But the Word of God will also give you spiritual stability. The winds may come, but you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. The winds will blow, but you won't break. You'll be strong, and you'll live the life that God wants you to live. How many has ever seen believers that are up and down and they're wishy-washy? You you don't ever know what state of mind they're in. I don't want to be like that. I want to be firm. I want to be stable. I want to be established. How do I get there? By staying in the Word. Here's the thing. I might be going through the valley, but I want to live like I'm on the mountain. How do I do that? By staying in the Word. You want to know why Job could fall down and worship when he lost everything? Because I believe he was a man who stayed near God. He was a man who hid the Word of God in his life. Let's move on. Number four. The Scriptures equip us to fight the spiritual battle. And whether you realize it or not, you're in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When Paul described the armor of the believer, he only mentioned one offensive weapon. He talked about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The word sword here comes from the Greek word rhema. It refers to what was called the Roman short sword. It was much like a dagger. This short sword was on the belt of every Roman legionnaire. They carried it wherever they went and used it in many tasks from preparing their food to hand-to-hand combat. And it's interesting that Paul should use this word for the Bible. In many other places, the word logos is used. The word logos refers to the whole word of God. So when we talk about Genesis to Revelation, we're talking about logos, referring to the entirety of Scripture. It's the same word used in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And Jesus there, He's called the word of God. That's the logos. But the word rhema refers to a specific word. That means that if I come in and begin to preach to you and all the something sudden something catches your attention and God begins to speak to you through that word. That is a rhema. That is a specific word for you. Do you understand that? That when the word comes alive to you, that in other words, there are times that you read something and it like leaps off the page to you. That's a rhema word where God speaks to you personally. The Logos becomes rhema. It becomes real. How many has ever read a passage many times over and you get nothing, but you go back to it again and all of a sudden you get something? The Logos becomes rhema. It becomes specific. Think of it like this. The Logos or the whole Bible brings to mind the idea of a complete armory. In that armory there are weapons of every description. And so when a battle arises, we should be able to walk into that armory and select the perfect rhema or specific word we need to fight for that particular battle. You see, that's what Jesus did during His time of temptation in the wilderness. Three times Satan comes to Him and tries to tempt Him and tries to lead Him astray. But each time after Jesus was tempted, Jesus said, it is written. You see, Jesus walked into the Deuteronomy room and walked out with the perfect sword to defeat Satan. 
Does it make sense? But the only reason Jesus could walk into the armory and pick out exactly what He needed was because Jesus knew exactly what word to use. Let me say it like this to illustrate it. Before you can pick out the perfect rhema, before you can pick out the perfect word, you've got to be familiar with the word. In other words, before you can use your sword against the enemy, you've got to be familiar with the sword. That's why personal time of reading and study is important. You can't fight a spiritual battle if you don't know how to use the spiritual weapon. In other words, if the enemy comes against you and tries to condemn you, you need to know Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And use that sword to stick him. But if you don't know that, you can't fight him. Amen? He tries to tell you that your needs aren't going to be met. You need to be able to walk into the armory and pick out Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all of my need according to His riches and glory and stick the devil in it. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You've got to be familiar with the Word so that you can walk in there. Okay, devil, this is what I need. This is what I'm going to use on you. And stick him with it. See, when you know the Word, you can use it against the enemy and he can't defeat you. You want to know why some believers walk around and they seem to always struggle? Because they can't use the Word. They know what's in there somewhere, but they can't, they can't bring it up. And here's the thing, you may not know chapter and verse, but as best you can, you need to hide it in your heart so that it can be brought to your mind. And here's the thing, the Spirit of God will help bring it to your mind. Let me move on. Number five. The Scriptures show us what is right. The Scriptures show us what is right. This gets us back to our original text. Paul says the Scriptures are profitable for doctrine. How many know we need doctrine in our days? Because Paul's going to tell us, I believe in chapter 4, he's going to tell Timothy there's going to be a time when people will not endure sound doctrine. But they'll gather teachers around them having itching ears that'll tell them what they want to hear. How many believe we're in those days? But it says the Scriptures are profitable for doctrine. That word simply means teaching or instruction. It refers to the body of truth that we believe and practice as part of the Christian faith. Everything we know about God and believe as Christians has been taught to us by the Word of God. The Scriptures reveal the truth. This book that I hold in my hand, it is truth. And it's the truth that sets us free. In fact, it is the truth that sanctifies us. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through your truth. Thy word is truth. You see, the Word of God gives us the principles and rules for life. It gives us the doctrines and foundations of life. You see, like a good coach, the Scriptures teach us all the fundamentals of the faith and they instruct us in the deep things of God. And let me say this. We should never base our doctrine on feelings or experiences on what, or on what someone we admire believe. You don't go by your feelings. You don't go by experience. You go by what the Word of God says because this is true. This is where we get our doctrine from. Everything we believe and do should be based squarely on a clear Word from God, not our opinions, preferences, or prejudice. What the Word of God says is right and true. No matter what anybody else says. We stand on this. But number six, the Scriptures chasing us. The Scriptures chasing us. Now there are different ways that God can chasten us. He can chasten us through circumstances. He can use others to bring chastening. But one of the primary ways that God chastens us is through His Word. Paul says the Scriptures are profitable for reproof. That word reproof means to be convicted. It has the idea of putting something to the test. Listen, the Word of God will put your life to the test. 
It's like a set of scales or balances. It will show you where you fall short. How many found that to be true? It's also like a plumb line and it will show you where you don't line up. As I said last week, the Word of God is like a mirror and it will reveal the true you. Look at James chapter 1 verse 23 through 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man viewing his natural face in a mirror. He views himself and goes his way and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man will be blessed in his deeds. You can see there in verse 23 that he, he says, he compares it to a mirror. If anyone's a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man viewing his natural face in a mirror. See, God's word will show us what he expects of us and it'll point out when we miss the mark. You see, God wants us to sense conviction and to be rebuked when we are disobedient to His will. You see, this book reveals God's will and the consequences of disobedience to His will. I've said this many times before that the Bible is the only book that when you read it, it reads you. That as you read this right here, it'll begin to expose things in your life. It'll begin to judge you. It'll begin to show you where you missed the mark. It'll begin to show you where you fall Short. It's as you look into it, all of a sudden you begin to see your reflection. And how many times you come up way short. But here's the thing, many times we don't like what we see and so we close it. I used this illustration last week. What good's a mirror if you don't do anything about what you see? And I said, Brother Paul, that when I wake up tomorrow morning, I, I can tell you what my hair's going to look like. It's going to be sticking up. I've got product in it, and when I wake up tomorrow morning, it's going to be sticking up. And if I look in the mirror and see it sticking up, but don't do anything about it and go out in public, there's going to be people looking at me kind of funny. They're going to be thinking, don't that man have a mirror in his home? And that's how some people treat the Word of God. They look in it and it reflects their sin. It shows them their anger. It shows them their jealousy. It shows them their envy. They read it and it shows them their lust. It shows them their pride, but they close it and don't do anything with it. Like looking at your face and, 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 and seeing dirt on your face, but not getting rid of the dirt. Seeing your hair out of place, but not doing anything. thinking that somehow it's just going to fix itself. It's just going to go away. Or thinking that, Brother Lynn, I'll just flip over to another book and I'll read somewhere else. But here's the thing. You can flip to another book God can get you over there. Because all of it's inspired. And all of it's from Him. So no matter where you flip, God can get you if He wants to get you. Because if you need correcting, God can correct you from Genesis to Revelation. Amen? And that's what this book does. And that's why some people don't like reading it. Because here's the thing, some people like their sin. Some people like what they're living in. So they spend very little time in it. Because they don't want to change. Let me just say this. If you like your sin and don't want to change, maybe you hadn't met Jesus. Well, here's the thing. If you meet Jesus, you'll want to change. And you won't want to cover up your sin. And when He shows it to you, you'll be like, Okay, Holy Spirit, help me change. And you'll do like David did, create in me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit. Give me a willingness to obey you and to live right. I can't tell you how many times I've read the Word of God and it slapped me right in the face and I'm like, okay, I've got to change. I've got to do something. Or you read it and all of a sudden... Your mind go back to weeks ago of something you did. 
And you've got to start confessing it. Amen? Hebrews 4.12, look at it. The Word of God is quick. That means it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And notice this, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is a living book. It's quick. It's alive. It's, it's a living book. Why? Because God breathed it. That's why it's alive. And notice it, it's a discerner. That means it judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. It'll search out your motives and point out the problems in your life. That means as you read it, it'll put its finger on what's going on in your life. That word reproved there in verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3 also comes from the same word that is translated evidence in Hebrews 11 and 1. In both cases, it refers to convincing evidence. In our modern, modern language, we would say it this way, it's the smoking gun. You see, sometimes the Word of God is laid, a song, laid, a, laid alongside our lives and it serves as God's exhibit A. You see, God shows us from the Word that He has the goods on us and how we're living. You see, God can take His Word, put it alongside your life and say, I've got you. There ain't nothing you can do about it. You can try to cover it up, you can try to hide it, but God's got it. He's got the evidence. And the best thing we can do is bow before Him and deal with everything that He shows us. Hear me well, we should never rebel against the convicting ministry of the Word of God. Never rebel against it. Never try to run. Never try to cover it up. But deal with it. Which leads me to number seven. The Scriptures correct us. Paul says the Scriptures are profitable for correction. The word correction means to restore to an upright or correct state. You see, here's the thing. The Word of God doesn't show us just what's wrong in our lives. It also teaches us how to fix what's wrong in our lives. In other words, God doesn't just come to chasten you. He also tells you how to be corrected. How to fix what's wrong. You see, the Bible teaches us about repentance and confession of sin. Listen to Proverbs 28, 13. He that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. In other words, if you're running around thinking, I'm going to hide it, God says you're not going to succeed. You're not going to prosper. But if you'll confess it, forsake it, you'll have mercy. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, confession is one of the greatest things that we ought to practice in our lives as Christians. Listen, Christians ought to practice confession. Hear me. Not to try to be saved over and over again, but to stay close to God. Let me, let, let me say that again. Not to try to be saved and born again, but to stay close to God. Because a Christian who has unconfessed sin in their life, you're going to be miserable. And you're going to think you're lost and doubt your salvation because God is going to be like a wall between you and Him until you deal with what He's, until you deal with what he's trying to show you. You're going to feel like God's a million miles away. And you're going to feel like a lost person. But as soon as you confess it, that wall comes down and you'll feel the arms of God wrap around you. You've heard me say before, the most miserable people in this world are saved people who have unconfessed sin in their life. Listen, lost people aren't worried about their sin. I wasn't worried about my sin when I was a lost person on my way to hell. I had fun. And I said this here a while back. Listen, if you didn't have fun in sin, you didn't do it right. And I knew where I was going, Mr. Tanya. And I didn't really care. I was having fun. But now, if I sin... I know it. And you do too. 
And let's be honest, we all sin more than we want to. Can we just, can we just be honest and transparent? We, we, we sin more than we want to. And here's the thing, we don't want to. But we do it more than we want to. And when you do it, you, you, you know something's got to be fixed. And that's why you've got to practice confession on a regular basis. God, cleanse me. God, I've said something wrong. God, I've had a hateful attitude, an angry attitude. God, purge me of this. Purify me of this. But if we'll do what the Bible says about the wrong it exposes, we can get back on the right path. You see, God doesn't chasten us to hurt us, but to help us. He chastens us through His Word in order to bring correction. He shows us what isn't right so that we can know how to get right. But number eight, the Scriptures show us how to stay right. It shows us what's wrong. It shows us how to get correct. But guess what? It shows us how to stay correct. How to stay right. Aren't you glad for that? It says the Scriptures are profitable for instruction in righteousness. That phrase, instruction in righteousness, refers to instruction that aims at increasing virtue. The Bible will tell you what is wrong with you. It will also tell you how to fix what's wrong with you. Then it will tell you how to live so that you can avoid being found in the wrong the next time around. You see, God don't want you to keep repeating the same cycle. God don't want you to keep going round and round. God wants you to get better. Let me say it this way. God wants you to become more and more like Jesus. Literally, that phrase instruction and righteous means this, that which cultivates the soul. You see, the Word of God, if we read it and believe it and live it out, will enable us to become more and more like Christ. That's the ultimate goal and purpose of getting into the Word of God, to become more and more like Jesus. Here's what D.L. Moody said, The Bible was not given for our information, but our transformation. The Bible was not given for our information, but our transformation. But here's the thing. There are so many people who know this book and they're puffed up with pride, but their life hadn't been changed. They can quote verses and they can name the books of the Bible, but their life hadn't been changed. Listen, what good is knowing it if you hadn't been transformed? God wants your life to be changed. He wants us to be more and more like Jesus. You see, God wants us to know the right things to do, to think, and to say. And if we'll read this book and study this book, it'll show us how to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Listen, we can be of this world and be in this world and not of this world. We can be different if we'll study the Word of God. The Word of God will keep us from sin. It'll keep us on the right path. Psalm 119 verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. It's been said the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. Number nine, let me give you the last one. The Scriptures equip us, equip us for service. 2 Timothy, 3, 2 Timothy 3 verse 17 again. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Two words in this verse that are important. Circle them on your outline there. The word perfect and the word furnished. That word translated perfect, it means complete, in fit shape, in fit condition. It doesn't suggest sinless perfection, but it implies being fitted for use. That word furnished, it has a similar meaning. It means equipped for service. In other words, the Word of God furnishes and equips us as a believer so that we can live a life that pleases God and do the work God wants us to do. In other words, the better we know the Word, the better we're able to live and work for God. You see, the purpose of reading and studying our Bibles isn't to gain more knowledge or to be able to defend the faith. And listen, those things are important. Defending the faith and and understanding Scripture, that's great, that's wonderful. But the ultimate purpose of reading and studying the Word of God is to equip us to do the work of God. God wants us to serve Him and serve other people. Here's what commentator William Barclay said about verse 17. He said, The study of the Scripture trains a man in righteousness until he is equipped for every good work. Here is the essential conclusion. 
The study of the Scriptures must never be selfish. It must never be simply for the good of a man's own soul. Any change, any conversion which makes a man think of nothing but of the fact that he's been saved is no true change and no true conversion. He must study the Scriptures to make himself useful to God and useful to his fellow men. He must study not simply and solely to save his own soul, but that he may make himself such that God will use him to help save the souls and comfort the lives of others. No man is saved unless his own fire to save his fellow men. End of quote. Quite a convicting statement, isn't it? That studying the Scriptures shouldn't be simply for ourselves alone. But it should be simply so that we can be useful to God. Listen, the Word of God provides us with everything we need to be useful and effective for God. So as I close tonight, there is great profit in the Word of God. There are many benefits. I've given you nine. We could probably come up with so many more, but there are great benefits to the Word of God. But it's only as we read it, it's only as we study it, and it's only as we take it like it's written and conform our lives to it. Hear me well tonight. We can't twist the Scriptures to suit our own needs, and there's a lot of people that do that. We can't allow our own opinions to cloud the message that God wants us to hear. We have to take the Word of God as it is. Here's how some people read the Bible. Here's how some people do their daily Bible reading. I'm just going to let it flop open and I'm, I'm just going to try to find what I want to read. I don't like that so much. Let me find something else. You can't read the Bible like that. You've got to take it all. We've got to take the Word of God as it is. Good parts we don't like and let it change our lives. Let me say again, I'm thankful for the Word of God. There are people in other parts of the world, they lose their lives because of the Word of God. My prayer tonight is that we will love His Word more and more every day. I want us to love this book. I want this book to be precious to us. There may come a day before Jesus Christ comes back, they try to rip this book out of our hands. And then what are we going to do? You've not hid this in your heart. What are you going to do? Or if they tell you to give this book up or you're going to lose your life, what are you going to do? Are we willing to lay down our lives? For this book. That's how precious and valuable this book needs to be to us. God has preserved it for us. I want us to love this book. Have a relationship with this book. whether or not you've ever considered this, and I've shared this in one of the first weeks, every time you open this book and read its pages, you're reading the words of God. You're reading the mind of God, what God thinks, what God says. You've ever had the question, I wonder what God says about this. You have it. I wonder what God would have me to do about this. Read it. I wonder how God would have me raise my family. Read it. I wonder how God would have me raise, deal with my finances. Read it. I wonder how God would have me treat my fellow man. Read it. How would God want me to live for Him? Read it. I'm struggling in my faith and I don't know if I can keep going on. Read it. I'm struggling with whether or not God loves me. Read it. I just can't seem to have peace today and I'm overcome with fear and I'm overcome with worry. Read it.
this is the answer for everything that we face in life. My family's going crazy and I don't know what to do. Read it. Just overwhelmed with life. Don't know where to turn. Read it. Wish I could get a hold of the preacher today and just have somebody to talk to. No, just read this right here and let the Holy Ghost talk to you. This is enough. This is enough. Hear me. When God saved you, God gave you everything you needed to live the life He called you to live. Listen, I'm thankful we have brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm thankful for the church. But if I didn't have the church and I didn't have brothers and sisters, I've got the Holy Ghost and I've got the Word of God. And it'll get me through. Because I can stand here and testify that it's gotten me through many other times. I've been through some dark times and this book's gotten me through and the Holy Spirit's gotten me through. Because there's been times when people didn't have the answer. But this here's had the answer. Amen? There's been times when people couldn't comfort me, Sister Peggy. But this right here has brought me some comfort in the dark seasons of life. There's been times I didn't know what I was going to do and I racked my brain and couldn't figure out where to go. But this right here showed me what to do. I feel His presence tonight. Would you stand to your feet?